Podcasts are pretty common. So what makes the Uncommon Podcast uncommon? Well, it's all in our name. I'm your host, Noah Weiss, and we at Uncommon Sports Group understand the unique pressures and temptations that come with a career in the sport industry. We provide uncommon training that helps you successfully navigate common challenges. Hit the follow button on this podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Check out our website and become uncommon. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Weiss, and I'm super excited about today's episode because we'll be talking about my favorite time of the year, the Christmas and Advent season. So many of us, including myself, would relate the Christmas season to some of our favorite traditions, watching classic Christmas movies such as Home Alone or Christmas Vacation, or eating your favorite Christmas treats or thinking about what you put on your Christmas list, or decorating your Christmas tree. We have so many awesome Christmas traditions that I myself can admit are a very fun part of this season. However, it is easy to get lost in our secular Christmas traditions and miss the main point of this season. So my aim today in this podcast is to remind myself and all of you listening of the why behind the joy and celebration of the Christmas season and how we as followers of Jesus Christ should approach this holiday season differently from the secular society around us. So the way that I'm going to do that, I have four points, four things I want to talk about and questions that we can apply. The first is answering what is Advent? So just talking about the basics of what is the Advent season. Second, What do we often get wrong about Advent and Christmas? The third is how should we as as Christians actually celebrate this Advent season? And then lastly, how can we actually take advantage of this Advent and Christmas season to help advance the kingdom of God, which is what our goal should be in everything that we do? So let us start with answering the question of what is Advent? So Christmas is what we would say this entire season really is. But if we look at the church calendar, and yes, the church does have a specific calendar of major events within the Christian faith. And on the church calendar, the season itself, this four-week season in uh, December, is known as Advent. Christmas is actually only technically on the church calendar one day. It's the 25th. But the rest of the month, these four weeks leading up to Christmas, is known as Advent. And the word itself, the word Advent, it means arrival and signifies the beginning of an event or an arrival of a person. And so we know that the purpose of this four-week season of Advent, based on that definition, is to prepare and anticipate the arrival of Jesus on earth. That's the point. That's what Advent signifies and represents. And we see, I think, a great example of this. If you look towards God's Word, uh, which I'll do often today, is that is always a good place to fixate our points and our takeaways. It comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. And just for context, this is after Mary has received a, 
uh, an introduction and a conversation uh, from Elizabeth, who was uh, the mother of John the Baptist, and sees how amazing it is that God has blessed her with the ability uh, to have uh, Jesus Christ be in her womb. And so this is the song that she sings. It goes like this. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So we think about this. Mary is rejoicing as she should. What a unique and incredible position she is in by God's grace. But we also have to remember that she has not had Jesus yet. She's still pregnant. She still has this eight, seven, six, however many months left until the baby is born. But she's celebrating. She's preparing. She's anticipating this reality. And I think that is a great way for us to think about Advent is the way that Mary celebrates this. So my next point, next question that we can ask and talk about and apply is what do we get wrong about Advent? What do Christians in the modern day often get wrong about Advent? And I mentioned this already, but I think it's worth mentioning again, and this is not to condemn anyone, but I think Christmas is becoming, and maybe already is, a more secular holiday than it is a religious holiday. Certainly, the stories and the songs reflect a certain uh, aroma of religiosity and Christianity, but the true essence of the holiday rests mainly on a lot of the secular traditions that we have come up with. Instead of really celebrating and anticipating the birth of Jesus, we celebrate made-up traditions that we have connected to the holiday, trees and cookies and Santa Claus and gifts and movies and lights. And I do want to be clear that those things aren't bad. I, I don't think it is bad to partake in those. I myself partake on many of these traditions I've already watched Home Alone 1 and 2 multiple times, but the reality is is that these cannot overshadow the centerpiece of the Christmas holiday, which is the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I would go as far to say uh, that we can have a spiritual apathy in this season that almost quiets our worship of this massive event of the Savior Jesus Christ being born because we are distracted. And we see that many of these distractions fill our homes and department stores. And like I said, can really hinder our ability to be in awe at the incarnation of the living God in the person of Jesus Christ. I would even say as well, it is easy as Christians. I grew up in the church. Many people did and have, especially in this part of the world. It's easy to become a calloused what I mean by that is become used to the birth of Christ and how miraculous it actually is. And I, I want to point out, too, that a great theologian, Wayne Grudem, believes and says 
in his book, Systematic Theology, that the greatest miracle in the Bible is the birth of Christ. Now, others may say the resurrection. Others may say the creation of the universe, right? There's so many to choose from, right? Especially those big three that, you know, you can't really go wrong. But Wayne believes that the greatest miracle in the Bible is the birth of Christ. uh, And he has some good reasons to back that up. But I do want to read the birth of Christ from the context of Mary receiving the vision from the angel. Uh, So Luke chapter 1, verses 26 uh, to 38. I'll read, read that for us. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I mean, the reality is, we read this. How can you not be amazed? How can you not be in awe? We see these verses display the wonderful reality of the Trinitarian nature of our God. If you aren't familiar with the Trinitarian nature of our God or the fact that God is in the form of a Trinity, it really is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. And we believe in one God as Christians. We are monotheists. We believe in one God that eternally exists in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we see in the birth of the Messiah, all three of these distinct persons acting as the one God. We see that God the Father sovereignly chose Mary to be the birth mother of Jesus. God the Son is to be conceived by Mary, and that God the Holy Spirit would allow this to become possible, though Mary was a virgin. We cannot allow ourselves to become distracted in this season that the eternal, the great I am, the alpha and the omega, the omnipresent, omnipotent, living God and the creator of all things became an infant. If you've ever held an infant, which I'm guessing many of us have or have spent time around an infant, You think about that being what the living God was. That is insane. That is crazy to think about that. The humble nature of the living God becoming something so small, becoming something seemingly insignificant. Oh, the humility that it took for the eternal God to clothe himself in humanity. I want to read Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, because it really gives us an insight 
into the humility that it took for our God to truly put on flesh, become man. And I'll read it for us. This is Paul writing in Philippians. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. I want to stop there quick. Paul does not hesitate to claim that Christ Jesus was God. So I'll pick up there. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even Paul himself is amazed that God came and did not accept the reality that he was God. Jesus knew he was God, but he did not allow that to influence how he lived. He lived as a man. He lived as a humble man. And we think about Jesus' ministry started when he was 30 and ended when he was 33. And the scriptures tell us that he was a carpenter for his adult life. So Jesus was an infant. He was a toddler. He was a teenager, an adolescent. And then he was a man who was a carpenter. 30 years is a long time. I feel like I've been on this earth for a long time. I'm only 25 years old. It's crazy to think about the reality of the humble estate that our Lord Jesus Christ accepted. And so I think the main thing that we can get wrong as Christians about this season is that we get too excited about secular traditions surrounding Christmas. When the holiday season comes, we jump in our minds to think about all of the fun holiday traditions that we have, and we get bored and apathetic with the greatest miracle to ever take place. We get bored with it. And that is such a sad thing to me. And, and I'm just as guilty as any of you listening, so I don't want to point fingers and be hypocritical because I know I can do this. And so I want to really encourage us to not fall into that trap. I want to encourage us to be in awe of one of the greatest miracles to ever take place, that God took on humanity, joined his creation as one of them, and lived a life of humility as a servant, being obedient to death. So I want to move into this next question of how should Christians celebrate Advent, right? What is the, the right way maybe to look at this season and approach this season? And I think this is a tough question because there are so many ways that we could approach it rightly and a lot of ways we can approach it wrongly. But I want to give us a few ways, uh, two ways specifically that we can properly celebrate this season in reverence of what God has done and sending his son into the world and to glorify him for what he has accomplished. In the first way, I think, is to remember that Advent is not Christmas. We talked about this earlier on in the episode, that the meaning of Advent is to anticipate an event or the arrival of a person. 
Christmas, specifically on the church calendar, is celebrating the birth of Jesus, while Advent is the anticipation of the birth of Christ and that celebration. So our mindset in these weeks leading up to the most wonderful time of the year should be similar to that of the weeks leading up to a big vacation. And I think about when I was growing up, our family would always take a spring break trip to Florida when I was in grade school and even in high school. And we typically typically would go you know, Naples or Cocoa Beach or one of these awesome places in Florida. And the month of March was one of the longest yet most exciting months of the year because our spring break always fell in the first week of April. And we knew, my brother and I and our family, we always knew that once March rolled around, it was almost time for our trip to Florida. However, we think about the month of March, and I think about this preparation for this trip. We didn't spend March on the beach with our swim shorts on, right? The vacation had not yet begun Instead, as opposed to actually vacationing the whole month of March, we eagerly awaited the trip and we prepared ourselves for what was to come. I think we can look at that example and we can apply that to the Advent season and our approach could be very similar. We should spend these weeks eagerly anticipating and preparing ourselves for the wonderful miracle of God the Son becoming a child. If our entire focus is on the celebration, we can truly miss out on some of these benefits of the Advent season and the preparation that it gives us. I want you to imagine if our family just haphazardly hopped in the car one day to drive to Florida. What would be different? I think a few things is is we would not have quite the same joy that we would have had if we had been anticipating the trip. Sometimes that buildup of The whole month of March, you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and suddenly you're in the car going on the trip, and it just makes it all the more exciting. But if we had just hopped in the car one day without really talking about it or thinking about it, I think the joy would have been a lot less. I think another thing is that we would not have been as prepared because we would have failed to really think about the trip and some of the things that would have come with that, right? The preparation of packing our bags and getting the car ready and mapping out our trip and all of the things that we should do in preparation. And I think lastly, we would not respond to the trip according to what the trip was worth because we, not had, we had not been anticipating uh, the trip itself. And what I mean by that is you think about if you're thinking about something, anticipating it, preparing your mind for it, you're going to respond rightly because you see the magnitude, right? We knew that The only real vacation we would take the entire spring semester of the school year was spring break. And so we saw it as a big deal. And I think in the same way that if we don't think about and prepare in this season for the coming of the Savior, we really fail to respond in the right way because we're not preparing our minds and our hearts for the magnitude of this event. And if we just think of it so simply, and don't really meditate on it, on this reality, I think we can fail to really glorify the Lord for what he has done in bringing his Savior. The second way I think we should be celebrating this Advent season is by celebrating Christmas, right? I mean, the four weeks of Advent, I think we should be doing what I just talked about, of that anticipation in that waiting. 
But that anticipation always leads to an arrival of some event. The same way we prepared for the vacation, eventually the vacation came and we enjoyed it and we celebrated that trip. And so in the same way, we should be celebrating Christmas. And I think we have an excellent example of how we should celebrate the coming of the Messiah in the story of the shepherds visiting the newborn Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. So let me read that for us. We can talk through some of the highlights of this story and how we can apply it. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So there's four things that I took from this that the shepherds did that I think we can do to rightly celebrate and respond to the Christmas season. So the first thing is that the shepherds heard the message. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 12, the shepherds hear the message. The angel comes. The angel tells them that he has good news that will cause great joy for all the people, that in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He's the Messiah, the Lord, and that they will find him wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So they heard the message. And I do want to take a, a quick side note down this, this rabbit hole quickly in mentioning that shepherds were probably not who many people would think that God would reveal his Messiah to. Uh, shepherds were often uh, seen as low on the totem pole in society. Uh, they were not revered often. Um, they, they didn't have the coolest job on the block um, in, in we're not seen as people that had high importance uh, in, in the social status um, and classes of this day. But God reveals himself to the shepherds and reveals uh, who his Messiah is to the shepherds. So I just want to mention that, that God's grace, God's compassion uh, is, is amazing. But the first thing they did is they heard the message. I've read that, and, and I thought of Romans 10, verses 13 to 15, when Paul writes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they had not believed in? And how can they believe in the the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And I just was reminded that if, if we can't hear the message, if people can't hear the good news, they can't respond to it. So hearing 
It's just as important as all the other things that I'm going to talk about in these points. Hearing is valuable, highly valuable, um, and, and vital. And the shepherds heard the message from the angel. The second thing that the shepherds did that I think we can do is, is believe in faith on what uh, they were told and what we are told. And we see this in Luke 2, verses 15 to 16. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. Now, it could have been easy for the shepherds to say, Man, that sounds crazy. That could not have been an angel of God. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to see that. That's, no, that's crazy. No way the Messiah is an infant lying in a manger. But instead of doubting, we see the shepherds respond and believe by faith and go immediately. No questions. No doubts. They went. And they saw exactly what they were told. The third thing is, is we see the shepherds sharing the message with other people. So, so far they've heard it, they believed by faith, and now they're sharing. We see in Luke 2, verses 17 to 18, it says, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So they responded by saying, wow, we got to tell other people about this because this is awesome. The Messiah has come. The Lord has come. Like, let me go and tell people about this. And so many of us in, in the coming days and into the weekend and the Christmas holiday are going to be spending time around friends and family who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. They may have heard the stories. You know, there, there may have been a time when they heard the story about the Messiah, but they have not taken it as reality. And so I, I would say and encourage you that it is our duty, our responsibility to share the message with others. And I encourage you to do that as you head home this season, is to share about the reality of the Son, Jesus Christ, being incarnated from the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, into the flesh of humans and living a life and dying on a cross for the payment of our sins and raising on the third day, defeating death and sin. And that those by believe, who believe in him by faith are forgiven of their sins and granted peace and favor with the living God in the hope of, of everlasting life. And so that's the, the message that we preach. And that's the great news that we can share. And lastly, we see the shepherds glorifying God and praising him for this message. Luke chapter 2, we see this in verse 20. Uh, we see that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. I think that's, it seems so simple, but it's so amazing. They returned praising God, glorifying God. And I think that's what it should flow out of our hearts this season. Not joy over uh, mom's Christmas dessert, not joy over our favorite movies, not joy over a new video game or a new trinket or a new iPhone. Uh, joy because God accomplished something that only he could accomplish through the humility of Jesus Christ. What an amazing reality, and we have so much to worship. So I want to talk about our last point, last thing that we'll talk through today, and 
talking about answering the question, how can we take advantage of the Advent season to advance God's kingdom? And I've identified three ways. I think there's definitely more than three ways, but I've I've identified three ways that I think we can really apply uh, to this season and really advance God's kingdom in this wonderful season of Advent and Christmas. So the first way is to grow in our reverence and joy in the truth of the, of the gospel. Grow in our reverence and joy in the truth of the gospel. I think the essence of Advent rests in the anticipation of the greatest event in world history. Like I've talked about, the Messiah that, that God had promised his people Israel had arrived to take away the sins of man and bring sinful man back into right standing with God. I think we should really challenge ourselves to grow in our reverence of that story because it will help us advance God's kingdom. And I think practically you think about the more you grow in your joy, in your reverence of this truth, the more it's going to pour out of you. The more you're going to not even be able to contain it anymore. You're going to have to share it because you are overflowing with joy and hope and peace because of what God has done through his Messiah. And I think a, a good scripture we can read uh, to encourage us is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. It says, Therefore, since we, those who are Christians and have faith in Christ, are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with the reverence and awe. So it, I love this, this verse in Hebrews. It's reminding us that our faith in Christ and our hope in Christ is unshakable. The kingdom of God that is being brought into this world through the church that Christ is the head of and what is to come in the eternal kingdom that God will establish in the new age, it's unshakable. And, and even though that we are promised to die in this life, that one day we will no longer exist in this reality. We have a hope beyond that. We have a hope beyond that. Man, let that give us so much joy and peace and gratitude. Man, and we have so much to worship God for. So I I really think, as I mentioned, the more that we grow in our reverence and joy of this truth and understand it more, I think we're just going to be so much more useful in God's kingdom because we are overflowing with that joy. And Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that believers should be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we should be growing in our understanding of grace, in our, in our knowledge of who Christ is and what his purpose is. We don't stop that growth. The gospel is simple. Right? Christ died for sinners that those who believe in faith may be saved by God's grace. Pretty simple, right? But we can grow in our knowledge of that. We can grow in our understanding of that. And that is going to help us overflow with joy, overflow with reverence, overflow with awe, and help us to be more useful uh, for his kingdom. And, and I'd say, too, another way we can do that Right, instead of you know just growing in our knowledge and grace on our own time, which I think we should do through reading God's word and through prayer, is we can also do that and grow in awe 
through our local church communities. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. So let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That singing to God, that letting the message of Christ dwell among you richly is done together. It's done with other believers. And that's why he says it the way he does. As you teach and admonish one another with wisdom through singing songs to God. That is incredible. And so use this season and use every season really as an opportunity to grow in your love for God alongside of other believers. Because that's one incredible way to increase your love for God and your awe in uh, who He is. I think the second way that we can really take advantage of this Advent season to advance God's kingdom is remembering that God's Messiah, Jesus Christ, was a servant. The Advent and Christmas is not about us. I think it's really easy to make Christmas about ourselves. I mean, a lot of the secular traditions revolve around selfish desires. The most obvious one is receiving gifts. I think as well, we eat a lot of food. We think about how can I best decorate my house? What can I buy for me and do this for me and do this for my family, right? And just, it doesn't really extend much beyond ourselves. But we must not forget that the reason for the celebration of this season is Jesus Christ, and that he himself was the greatest servant. I mean, Jesus himself says in, in Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28, he says this to his disciples. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was a servant. And this Advent season is a wonderful time to be a good witness to the character of our Lord Jesus by serving those around us. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples that they will be his witnesses in the world. And so that is us. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are called to be a witness to him. And a great way to do that is to choose to be a servant. And I'm, I'm not saying that you can't receive gifts. I'm not saying that you can't enjoy good food this holiday because you can. Like that's not a bad thing. But we cannot allow those things to remove us from doing acts of service for God's kingdom in this season. So think of ways that you can. I mean, there's so many ways. I could, I could spend the next 40 minutes listing ways that we could be serving Christ this season. But think about your own situation. Think about areas in your community. Think about people in your family. Think about friends in your friend group. Think about things you could do in this season to be a servant. And then lastly, the third reason that we can take advantage of this season uh, to advance God's kingdom is to remind ourselves that Christmas is not just a reminder of the first coming of Jesus Christ, which it most definitely is, but also the second coming. 
The Advent and Christmas season revolves around the birth of Jesus Christ in his first coming. Prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah preached the coming of the Messiah hundreds of years before he ever came. And Isaiah specifically was over 700 years before Jesus was ever born. And so these things were prophesied and patiently waited upon. And that's what this season revolves around. And I can really think about in those hundreds of years before Jesus arrived, there had to be a lot of anticipation. And now that Jesus has come, we have countless reasons to rejoice that we live in the time and space when we can know that God's Messiah has come. And not just come, but accomplished the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. Something we can never accomplish on our own. I love the, I love the saying, hindsight is twenty twenty. And boy, it's easy to see how amazing our Messiah is when we can see the whole story in the hindsight of 2020. We can look back and, and see all of it, see the whole scope of Old Testament to New, and what a joy that is. But now that Jesus has come, he's been risen, he lives, do we still live in anticipation or do we see it as finished? Like the game is over, right? The fourth quarter, zero's on the clock, like let's go to the locker room. That's not how we live. We still live in anticipation of Christ's second coming. There are tons of prophecies of Christ's first coming, many in the Old Testament, and this was highly anticipated, but there are many prophecies, old and new, of Christ's second coming. And I think we should have the same response of anticipation to his second coming as those um, in, in the days of old did for his first. We see in, in Matthew chapter 4, or sorry, Matthew 24, uh, verses 4 to 35, Jesus prophesied his own second coming and gave signs of when it might happen. So let me just read that quick. I, I think, you know, I'm, I am very, uh, I don't have much knowledge on this area of the end times, but I think it's important to talk about it. So let's read Matthew 24, verses 4 to 35. Jesus is talking here. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. In that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. In this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, 
those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, I think those verses are powerful. They're hard to understand. But I think what we can guarantee in hearing the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 to his disciples is that he's coming again. He is coming again. And I think Jesus wants us and calls us to anticipate highly his second coming. I want to read again Matthew, or sorry, Luke 17, verses 30 to 32, because I think it does give us good insight to the reality that God wants us to be anticipating the Lord's second coming. Uh, it says, starting in, in Luke 17, verse 30, It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should remember or should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. So if you guys don't know the story of, of Lot's wife, you can, you can read it. Actually, you can read it. Uh, in Genesis uh, 19, uh, verses 1 to 38, you can see this story. But God graciously allows Lot and his family to flee Sodom, uh, the city of Sodom, which God destroyed. Um, and as God was destroying the city and Lot's family was fleeing, Lot's wife turned and looked back and immediately was turned into a pillar of salt. Uh, the reason that she was turned into a pillar of salt, which was obviously a form of God's judgment, was hesitation. Hesitation and, and possibly a longing uh, for the things of the world, things that were not of God. And I think Jesus gives us a blueprint in these verses in Luke 17 that no one on the day that the Son of Man comes back, no one who was on housetop with possessions in shot inside should go and get them, Likewise, no one who's out in their field should go back for anything. When the Son of Man comes back, our anticipation should be so high that we're not even considering things of the world. We're not even thinking about taking anything with us, not that we ever could. That we should be ready and we should be thinking about that day and preparing for it. 
So as Christmas should be a reminder to us that the same Messiah that came to the earth as an infant will be returning to earth in power and glory to judge both the living and the dead. And I love Mark 13, verse 32, because it reminds us that no one knows, not even the son of the day that Christ will come again. And I think we should live our lives as if he's coming tomorrow, every day. What, what would that look like? And, and that's a challenge for me just as much as it is for you. How would you live your life if you knew for a fact that Christ is coming tomorrow? Who would you tell? What would you do? What would you prioritize? I think that's how we should live every single day. As hard as that is, as hard as that is, boy, that's difficult. And we'll never perfect that. But I think it's a great challenge for us. So my hope is that this was a helpful conversation to encourage you that this season is far more than what so many think it is of gifts and lights and movies and cookies and Santa Claus. And and those things are fun. I, I hope you enjoy that. But I hope all the more that you rejoice in awe and in reverence and in hope that this season celebrates the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that if you live by faith in his finished work on the cross and his resurrection, that your sins will be forgiven. God will not remember your sins. They'll be cast as far as the east is from the west. You'll have peace with God, and his favor will rest on you. You'll have the promise of eternal life. Boy, that is the greatest gift we could receive in this Christmas season. I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas with family and friends and a happy new year. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Uncommon Podcast. If you want to get involved with Uncommon Sports Group and the mission that we are on to help you navigate the sport industry as followers of Christ, apply for our academy on our website at uncommonsg.org. That's uncommonsg.org. Be sure to catch new episodes of the Uncommon Podcast every other week on Thursdays at midnight Eastern Time. Until next time, we pray that you will strive to be uncommon by glorifying the name of God in whatever you may do. See you next time.